Welcome to the Hold My Ice Coffee Podcast with Elena Sadi and Cindy Felkel. Here at Hold My Ice Coffee, one of our core values is being real. And so I'm just going to confess to you guys, start out with, I struggle with bitterness and most everybody that I'm friends with knows that. So big surprise. It comes up so often that sometimes I'll be sharing a story or something and I'm like, yeah, well, at least I'm not bitter. But the, the reason what I have been discovering about myself is it's really unprocessed pain. And for me, I'm very, very, you might have picked up on this just from our podcast, but I'm very much of a an extrovert and I'm an external processor. So I talk about things to process my pain or anything, <laughs> process my day or this piece of mail I got or whatever. And it's really interesting because Elena and I are so different in that because she she's like, oh, that's not me at all. <laughs> we come at this so differently, but we both have this pain in our past that we have not gotten great advice through the years on how yeah. to process it. Yeah, we're told to get over it. Yeah, getting over it. Like, okay, well, what does that look like? Right. And as an introvert, I I would tend to stuff it and it would come out in different ways like depression. I might not tell anyone about it. But what do we do when we have those areas that are so painful in our past and we want to move on from them, but we can't just stuff it. And I know, Cindy, your husband, Brian, who we love, has given you some advice (laughs) that is hilarious. You want to tell everyone. Yeah, I always laugh about he would go, just put it in a bubble and let it go. And I was like, I tried to put it in a bubble and that bubble popped in my face and now I'm bitter and I have soap in my eye. (laughs) (laughs) But he's very much a like singular focused person, married to somebody with ADD. And I'm like, I don't know how to stop thinking about anything. All I do is add stuff to the list of stuff I'm thinking about. So yeah, we all have our stuff that we're dealing with and we still don't get very good advice. <laughs> Absolutely, especially in the church. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> that's a whole other area. It's a whole other area. <laughs> that's a trail I shouldn't go down. You want to talk about my bitterness? Anyway, I think all you guys are going to relate so much to our interview today. I know for me, everything he said was kind of putting that process into hyperdrive for me. And if you've been around me, you know I love hyperdrive. <laughs> So if you're like us, and we think you are, and you've struggled with focusing on your value because of this unprocessed pain from your past, grab your iced coffee and check out this interview with Michael Caparelli. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hold My Iced Coffee podcast. I'm Elena. This is Cindy. And we have a very special guest. Actually, we have Michael Caparelli. He's a PhD candidate. He has been my pastor. So we're so thrilled. I'm so thrilled to have him here. He's been a pastor for 16 years. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, He has been a pastor at NPAG, North Providence Assembly of God. And he's been the founding pastor of Sacred Exchange Fellowship in East Greenwich, which I have the pleasure of attending. And he's We've had an embarrassment of riches. Everyone who knows him knows that that is true. And he has an amazing book uh, that's really been life-changing for me and for so many people. It's called Pen Your Pain into Parables. We're so excited to have him here. He's a speaker, advocate, and founder of an organization called Unmuted, which helps gives give victims back their voice. And we're so excited to have you here. Welcome, Michael Caparelli. 
It's an honor to be here. I'm glad to uh, be talking about some of these issues. And thank you for having me on. Did you say embarrassment of riches? <laughs> I did. That's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> we, I was like, uh, <laughs> okay. That's the only way I can describe it, really, because we got to hear his sermons every Sunday, and um, it, they were just knockouts every single time. Like, the way that I can categorize Pastor Mike, he's like the young, fiery Italian Tim Keller, just a knockout every single time. So Thanks. you're going to be in for a treat. If you're not aware of maybe his book, you're going to be, uh, you're going to have more than enough um, motivation to go and get it after this podcast. So we're excited for our listeners to get to meet you. <laughs> so, okay, well, that starts us off really well. That's a good segue into our first question, which is, Mike, can you tell us about your book, In Your Pain Into Parables? Yeah, um, Pen Your Pain Into Parables is a, I guess it'd be classified as a self-help book. Uh, also a book, uh, a tool for recovery. Uh, recovery meaning if you're struggling with addiction, or maybe if you didn't take the path of addiction, but you just struggle with some type of a, a pain from the past, whether it be adversity or trauma, um, any type of adversity or trauma, the, the book is, is a practical tool on how to um, become unstuck from things of yesterday. Um, we can get stuck in a place too long, and uh, this particular book, both biblically based, so using the Bible, unashamedly faith-based, definitely um, founded on the idea that there is a God, He loves you, um, as well as clinically verifiable, um, merging together a, th a theory of counseling called narrative therapy. Um, there's also some uh, newer counseling techniques called EMDR, which have some of the same tenets, same principles at play, this idea that we have to kind of deal with unprocessed memories um, and frame them correctly. Uh, interpret our past in a redemptive way in order to feel better in the present and in order to have more confidence and hope and going forward in the future. So in summation, the book is a tool on how to recover from trauma and adversity in your past. And having read it, I can attest that this is, it's an amazing tool. Um, and how did you get inspired to write this book? So what's the story behind it. Um, really be interested to know. I've gotten a little sneak peek because I've heard one of your sermons, you talk about it, but how did, how did your story intersect with this book? Well, I had the last few years of my life were pretty dark. I had a heart attack. Um, my marriage ended after 18 years. Uh, lots of grief. Uh, people that were part of our church that uh, passed on, uh, one being a 28-year-old girl who babysat my kids and was nine months pregnant and overdosed and did her funeral and had her at my home and spent holidays with us. So a lot of just a lot of grief, a lot of crisis within the last few years. And as you go through any crisis, what happens is you start to kind of look at your whole life. Um, it's not really about just the present, but you start to kind of analyze your whole narrative. And uh, the more I started looking back at my past, uh, the darker things were getting. And I really needed the help of God to kind of pull me out of that pit. And uh, Psalm 71, uh, the psalmist says, from the days of my youth, God has been with me. And uh, I felt like God wanted to take me on a little journey through my own past uh, to show me not a trail of, of tears and a trail of blood, but footprints in the sand uh, to see that he's been there the whole time. Um, oftentimes in life, we develop what's called a problem saturated narrative. 
And what that means in the clinical world is that you look back at your past, your narrative, and all you see are problems. Um, that's the thing about pain. Pain can consume your attention. Um, in the words of C.S. Lewis, pain insists upon being attended to. It demands all your attention uh, to a point where it can kind of drown out or jade your perspective of your past. And if you're not careful, uh, all you can see is darkness. And uh, it really takes the help of God to kind of come out of that pit and to realize he really has been with you from the days of your youth. So in the midst of all that crisis, the last three, four years of my life, um, I felt like I had God kind of come down uh, into my dark world and say, let me let me give you a second look at some of some of the moments in your past to let you see that it wasn't all a problem. Um, let's change this narrative. Let's flip the script. It's not a problem saturated narrative, but let's see that I've really been there the whole the whole journey. And uh, it was one moment at a time. I, I actually started writing these parables on Facebook just one moment at a time when I started to kind of take a second look at that moment and realize that as painful as that moment may have been, it actually was profitable and it actually worked out as a part of his bigger plan uh, for my for my betterment. Um, so that, that's how the book came into existence. It was a three to four year uh, crisis that sort of took me on a journey all through my 42 years of living. Oh, wow. That's, that's so powerful. And I think it's so needed because I'm actually was doing a Bible study with somebody recently. And I said, we just need to take a second and pause from even reading the Bible. And I want you to, to rethink how you're hearing God because this person was looking back at all the trauma in her life and seeing everything as a judgment from God. And I said, if it's, if you think God is just condemning you, you are not hearing him. That's a different voice. And I, and I, we just talked about why she had such a strong feeling that everything that God said was condemning of her. And I was like, I promise you, he adores you and he was with you in every step of this. And she's starting to rethink that. And, and I think when you're in that place, you can't even read the Bible right because you just see messages of how you don't measure up versus such a beautiful picture of how much God loves us. Mm. Can, can I, can I just say one thing about that? Yeah. Would you mind? Uh, that's the thing about pain is it just, it skews your perspective uh, when you're in pain. Um, the best illustration I could think of is, uh, Let's suppose that you were uh, seated in your favorite place. Maybe it's Aruba, you know, at a beach. And maybe you're with your favorite company, you know, people that you love, uh, good friends, good laughs, eating your favorite food, uh, drinking your favorite drink. It's the picturesque day. The weather's perfect. In the midst of all that, um, all that blessing, if you have a toothache um, and the toothache is throbbing, then all you focus in on is the toothache. Uh, that that's the thing about pain is it just consumes all your attention to a point where all the blessings that are surrounding you in that moment are completely forgotten, completely overlooked. Um, even in retrospect, years later, all you remember about that Aruba scenery is is the toothache. Um, and when people are in emotional pain, it works just like physical pain. When they look back at moments in their past, pain hijacks all their attention and they get stuck in that pain. And it's hard to see uh, all the blessings um, that were really in the story. Um, so oftentimes it takes a second look. It takes some retrospection with the help of the Holy Spirit to realize that uh, uh, there was more. To, there was more to the story than just pain. Yeah, 
And I, that's so important for people to hear because I think we're missing God when we, we only frame our stories that way. Sometimes that we miss seeing how much Jesus was right there. And he said, and the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. And I think when we understand that, that's when we, we sense his presence the most is he wants to walk with us through our pain. So. And that, and that past data is so critical uh, in your brain. Uh, that pa- the data of the past is so critical to how you're going to view the future because your brain is a predictive engine. It makes predictions. That's what your brain does. It's c- continually making predictions. What's it making predictions on? It's making predictions based on past data. So if the past data is contaminated, if it's skewed, if it's a problem-saturated data, um, then what I get is what I'll expect. And if all I've gotten is problems, then all I'm going to expect is problems. And uh, your life starts to shape uh, based on that past data, which is what's shaping your predictions. And you can see that applying to, to everybody, like when mm. my work with foster kids and stuff and um, how they blow up relationships sometimes. Absolutely. Um, so- I don't want to, we can, we can chase that every direction. Mm. Like I think everybody needs to learn that. And, and that's why it's so powerful when we understand our value and bring God into the equation, because sometimes it's just so hard to do this without understanding how much God values you. And it's, it's something that's been new for me, actually, just in this past year, I've just been allowing myself to hear how much God truly, truly values everything about me and all. And it's, it's kind of contrary to what our, Mm. the loud voice in our head says. So I wanted to continue with, how did you decide to start Unmuted, the organization that gives victims back their voice? Well, I had my own uh, story, my own experience with how trauma at a young age took away my voice um, as vocal as I am, uh, and outgoing as I can be. Um, if you talk to my aunts who attend, uh, sacred exchange fellowship, they'll tell you that I was a co- very, very quiet kid, uh, from the time I was, you know, born all the way up until, I don't know, six or seven years old. Just, I remember being, uh, sort of, um, impeded or something was kind of keeping me from open my, opening my mouth. I look back at it. I realized that there was some shame there. Um, there were some things that had happened that brought shame to me and shame will take away your voice. Um, so trauma, uh, adversities, they have a way of taking away your voice. And then I, I remember coming out of my shell, you know, that old saying, you know, come out of one shell. When that happened, it was freeing and all of a sudden I can express myself. And even along the way, it wasn't, um, simple. It wasn't an overnight, uh, experience. There definitely was a, um, you know, even even now in my 40s, I have moments when if shame gets the best of me or insecurity takes over. I, what the first thing I lose is my voice, the most important part of who I am, uh, the thing that God gave me to uh, to serve Him, the thing God gave me to glorify Him. I mean, think about all that comes with the voice. With your voice comes the ability to ask for help. If you need help, it takes a voice to ask for help, and a lot of what you have in life is a result of what you ask for. Um, so if you ask for nothing, you get nothing. The Apostle James tells us that. He says, you have not because you ask not. Uh, Henry Ford said that in the 1900s. He said that uh, we don't get in life what we deserve. We get what we negotiate. In other words, the audacity to ask for something. 
So when you lose your voice, you lose the courage to ask. Um, you lose the courage to profess. Uh, a lot of what we uh, create in life uh, involves our mouth. Our mouth plays a role in what we create, what we generate, what we manufacture. Um, so by losing your voice, you lose your ability to create, to manufacture, to make things happen. Um, so losing your voice is is losing more than just, you know, your ability to make sounds. It ties directly to your identity. And one of the things that takes away your voice is trauma. So unmuted is the exact opposite. It comes from the Gospel of Mark where Jesus heals a mute man. And the Bible says his tongue is loosened. Uh, Pena Pain in the Parables is just one piece of unmuted. That particular book is giving victims their voices back in the sense that they're able to tell their story. Uh, because your story is an important part of your own recovery and it's an important part of your service to others. So that's what Unmute is all about. It's about giving victims uh, their voices back. Wow, that's that's so powerful. And it's kind of funny um, or just amazing how all of this is kind of being brought together. Years ago when I was an English teacher, I had um, a banner over my chalkboard that said back in the days when there was a chalkboard <laughs> but it was uh it said everyone has a story worth telling and a voice worth developing and it was I didn't I was so unhappy with the public school systems and everything but I knew God was that was what I wanted to do was empower people to value their voice and it's interesting like how as this ministry of our podcast and everything is developing and, and you're sharing that story, how much it just keeps coming up over and over the power in our stories and our voice. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to continue with, was there a parable that for you was the hardest to write? Uh, it was actually a parable that was omitted um, from the second version of the book, um, unofficial second version. It's not like, you know, on the cover of the book where it says, uh, this is the second edition. I went in and made an edit and it was a parable about, um, someone in my family. We'll just keep it at that. And, uh, their experience, they had given me the okay. They gave me permission to share it. Um, uh, but then had second thoughts and I wanted to respect that. So I, I took the story out of the book. Um, it was painful. I think some of the greatest pain we suffer is uh, the pain of others. We're more powerless in that pain. You know, there's been count countless studies to show that caretakers' grief is greater than the grief of the, those they take care of, that the tension they feel, the, the stress, all that is greater. Um, so that particular parable, because it wasn't my story directly but indirectly, um, was probably the hardest to write because I felt the most powerless, the most vulnerable in writing it. Oh, wow. In the interview, the last one that we did, we were talking about that kind of thing with someone who worked on um, a Native American reservation and all the things that she saw and how hard it was to deal with. And then my story of working with so much of their pain, how sometimes I've just had to step away and just sit and and really bawl my eyes out and cry for the darkness that I've seen in the world. And and asking God to continually show me his light at work because it is, it is, it's so hard to care so much about people and, 
and not being able to fix it, you know, and I, and I think that's so important because sometimes we don't, people don't realize that and they just think there's something wrong with them or, you know, I'm doing this thing and I don't have enough faith. Why am I, why am I struggling so much? So yeah, thank you. You're welcome. I want to share um, a quote from Pastor Mike on page 10 of his book. It says, when you frame your painful past the right way, the most tragic moments become valuable artifacts. And that is a huge breakthrough in reframing so that these moments, these kind of flashbulb moments, they don't have that same power to take over our lives and our future. We can drop those chains. We don't have to take our pain into the next decade with us. Um, we can drop it where it is. And this book is such an extraordinary tool. And I know this for Sam because I was blessed to be able to take your first class at Sacred Exchange um, for Pen Your Pain mm-hmm. into Parables. And um, really, it was, it changed my perspective on the things that have happened to me. You know, I wrote probably four of them. Um, but one of the highlights of 2019 was being able to read that parable in church with you standing next to me and standing next to the other students who had written a parable and just feel that, that our stories were valued in a new way, not just a pat on the back. It was not only are these valued, but they're going to, it's going to be a helpful tool. Like you said, to have our testimony help other people in the future. So that was just so transformative. And, um, and we don't and and basically my favorite parable that you wrote was um the belly button parable i call it it's a parable about shame mm-hmm. when you were a little boy and how you looked down at your belly button and you thought oh my gosh this, this has to be plugged up immediately this is such a shameful thing on my body and you talk about how shame it it lies to us and tells us that sometimes normal things are shameful and we need to be ashamed of ourselves and I remember when you would post them on Facebook, it was was like the post heard round Facebook. Basically, everyone at Sacred Exchange would stop what they were doing. It's like, don't bother me. I'm reading because Mm -hmm. for the next five minutes, I'm going to be engrossed in this parable. It was was amazing. It was touching everyone. I would text my mom when you posted a new parable. That's the impact that it had. And, you know, I I have, you know, after I say all that, I would want to say thank you for being willing to share that because so many of us have that that shame that we carry around, whether it be for our personality or something that God gave us, and we turn it into shame because of the outside world. And you help redeem that. And and writing our parable is one of the tools that I think is so powerful. Um, And you say it's scientifically proven and biblically proven to help us to put that, that parable, that shame in the right place to kind of categorize it so God is over it. Mm. So just thank you for everything that you've done in that way. Yeah, I was just saying, um, thank you, Elena, for sharing what you shared. Um, the way that trauma is filed in the brain, uh, when you understand how it's filed in the brain, uh, pain you pain in the parables, uh, starts to make sense and why it could work and why it does work. Um, I say could because it really, any tool is really going to come down to what you put into it. Um, somebody could read the book and get nothing out of it. Somebody else can have a life changing experience, really how you approach it. Um, but the, if you understand how trauma is stored in the brain, it makes a lot of sense as to why that book would be effective. Um, when trauma is filed in the brain, you go through some traumatic episode. It's not stored in the brain in the prefrontal cortex 
which is where most memories are filed away in narrative form within context. Um, but it's stored in the brain in the subcortex, which is beneath the prefrontal cortex. And it's where memories are filed away in fragments, where you remember things not in context, but you remember them in snippets. It could be a smell, could be a sound, it could be an impression, like a feeling. Um, and these, these little moments are taken out of context. They're filed away. And when something's out of context, it becomes larger than life and imposing on your psyche. Um, it's kind of like if I were to take a picture of something and I were to block out its surroundings, that thing I take a picture of, whether it be an apple or a remote control, becomes larger than life. It becomes so big in the picture because its, it's surroundings are, have been blocked out. That's what happens with trauma. It becomes larger than life, becomes imposing. The tool is putting these things back in their proper context. Um, and by doing so, rendering these moments powerless, where they're not as imposing, they're not larger than life. And then if you put those moments in even a wider context, the context of God, the context of redemption, not just your story, but his story, and how your story fits into his story, um, then these moments start to shrink and they're not as powerful. But until we do that, they live in the subcortex and they play out, they become triggers, really. And we're triggered continually. Uh, we feel constantly afraid and overwhelmed um, because uh, we're living out of this trauma that's not in proper context. Absolutely. And the the parable that I, I didn't read at church, I remember you had said to me, it was, it was about you know, overcoming divorce, but really one of the moments that I found out the truth about my situation. And you had suggested, why don't you write it from the perspective, um, which was true about you going into this dinner that you think is going to yield reconciliation and actually more truth comes out, making it extremely painful. And your suggestions to guide me through made it so that it wasn't so terrifying to go back there that it was putting things in proper mm. context and knowing that God was with me the whole time through that dinner, which I call night of confessions at Longhorn Steakhouse, you know, being able to know that God was there the whole time and that he saw and that he didn't leave me or forsake me was so powerful. And it really was a turning point in my healing, even though I'm years out, it was taking your class that showed me in many different contexts that, that it's, it's so crucial to be able to see that God's overall, but that we're not alone in it. And, and the point that I was thinking hmm. about in reading your book and thinking about the classes that you show us that how you show us how to do narrative therapy, because you've done it yourself. You went first, you're showing us how to do it, do it and do it effectively. You're not just saying this is what you need to do from an academic standpoint. You went first, you, you kind of, plunged into the pain. You came out on the other side. So you show us that it's possible. And that kind of leadership is so helpful because you're not doing it from afar. You're, you're doing it and you're saying you can have this kind of healing too. And that's what really impressed me. Um, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I, as she's talking, I'm thinking about, um, I, I have really struggled with a lot of the problems in the church in America and I have been quite vocal about that, that I think there's a lot of abuse among pastors and, and people defending the system. And, and I'm struck with, as I'm thinking about what you've shared and the humility in actually being real, 
that I feel like that would protect us from so much of it. If pastors were not put on a pedestal of I'm perfect and you need to look up to me and it's more about here's my journey and here's, here's where Jesus entered into my journey and I want you to know Jesus too. And I, I feel like that's what the difference is. Like you're not going to be abusive if you're being real and you are yeah. honest. So um, I don't know if you want to speak to that or not, but I, it's just something I'm thinking I'm thinking through as, as we're talking about this. Yeah. I mean, Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. Pastors or anybody in positions of leadership are given power, uh, influence, and uh, to be a good steward with the power is uh, really important. I mean, I think I believe that God gives power to people. Uh, he does give power to people. The Bible says he establishes authority. He appoints leaders. He calls pastors, etc. But he gives power to empower, um, not to overpower. Um, so it's. I think if anybody has any influence whatsoever, whether it be by virtue of a position or just virtue of relationships where they've gained access into people's lives and people trust them, it's important to steward that power um, in a way that is going to help people and not self-aggrandize, etc. A power is very intoxicating. It can it can really change you and, and, and truly turn you into a tyrant or someone abusive. Um, and it's, in most cases, I wouldn't even say abusive. I'd say just people that just mismanage power and as a result uh, unwittingly hurt people, not even knowing sometimes. I mean, abuse is predicated upon attention. I don't know that all people are intending to be abusive. I do think that people get hurt all the time because, uh, for instance, if I was playing around with a gun, I might not deliberately shoot someone. But if I'm not managing that gun properly, I could accidentally hurt someone. And it's the same way with uh, authority. Um, So it is important for pastors to use power to empower, not overpower. Now, with Pen Your Pain into Parables, you're now traveling around the country. You're getting this book in the Mm -hmm. hands of those basically without a voice. Um, You're going to Mm -hmm. churches. You're going to Teen Challenge events, um, being a keynote speaker at Teen Challenge event, I believe, this coming year. Is it that you're going to be? You're not Mm -hmm. necessarily going first to those with wealth and power. You're going to the people who are maybe lowly in spirit, who are humble, who have needs, like Jesus did. How did you make that decision? I think the question that I asked myself is, where where was the book going to be the most impactful? Where would it make the greatest impact? And uh, it's kind of like asking, you know, where do I put a light that it would shine the brightest? Well, I wouldn't put it under the sun. I would put it in in a dark place. So I think it's a matter of impact. Ministry is most impactful amongst people that are broken. Ministry really only flows through brokenness. Jesus said that. He said the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. Um, So it it is a page from Jesus's playbook, um, but it's also just a matter of effectiveness. It's it's what's most effective. Uh, You're not going to listen to me if you have the answers already. Um, you're not going to trust a cure if you don't even think you're sick. So it's, it's really, I, I, I feel, um, strategy says to put this book in the hands of those that have been oppressed in various ways, because that's where it's most effective. Really. We all have this kind of brokenness too. We're just maybe walking around pretending it's not there. So that's why it's powerful that we can all read this so that we don't 
have to keep perpetuating those same cycles. Some of us are better at denial than others. (laughs) I always joke about that's my favorite coping strategy as a Southerner. Mm -hmm. And and then anyway, what has been the response to your book and the workshops? And has anything about the response surprised you? Uh, The response has been great. Um, I've found that people don't just want the book. They want the workshop. Um, so the workshop does coincide with the book. I've gotten better and better at doing the workshop. I've already done it maybe about seven times. Uh, I find that when people go to the workshop, in addition to having read the book, um, the, the breakthroughs are more, you know, they're more uh, immediate. They, they're happening more frequently because they're, you know, they're getting a chance to actually do it. Um, so I, I didn't expect to do workshops along with the book as much as I'm doing um, so that's probably something I didn't predict was that there'd be a demand for workshops uh, to coincide with the book. People want to like know how to how to do this. You know, please come in and actually show. Do you have ideas for any other books? As much as you can say. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely. I'll have something released this fall, um, probably just like last year with Pena Painted the Parables, was released in December. Probably again this December. Um, I'm in the middle of a book. Uh, a book that I've been working on for a long time, but I've taken a different angle with it. Um, it's called The Ox and the Ass, and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, where it says, Do not plow together with an ox and an ass uh, yoked as one. And uh, it's something that Paul would reference later in Corinthians when he says, Don't be unequally yoked. And it's about the dangers of being in incompatible relationships. Um, toxic relationships that can really uh, destroy you if you're not careful. So the book is for those that are in those toxic relationships right now and some steps on how to break free. Breaking free doesn't necessarily mean divorce. It doesn't necessarily mean the relationship ends. In some cases, it does mean that. Um, And also a warning uh, for those that maybe haven't entered yet into a relationship like that. Um, but these can be some of the signs. So it's both prevention and intervention. That's exciting. We definitely can't wait to hear more about that. Thank you so much. And I want to just close with this quote from your book. It says, a parable is a story that accentuates the ordinary moments to teach us about God, neighbor, and self. Pay close attention because all of life is a parable. And those are really powerful words. So thank you so much for being on And we look forward to hearing more about all your successes. And we hope you'll come back on our show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was an amazing interview. Cindy, I know we were having aha moments and hold my iced coffee moments all over the place. If you want to get Mike's book, which we know you want to, go to painintoparables.app. That's A-P-P, painintoparables.app. And get it for someone that you know, that you understand has been going through unprocessed pain. Get it as a gift. We're so excited to share this resource, and we're so glad that we had Mike Caparelli on our show. And I'm also going to be sharing a parable that I wrote in his parable workshop um, called Night of Confessions at Longhorn Steakhouse. So I know you're going to want to tune into that one. And and maybe reading it will help you to process some of the pain that's been in your past that maybe you didn't know how to express. It's really going to be a great healing tool. As always, all of that information will be available for you in our show notes and on our resource page on the website, holdmyicecoffee.com. Please take some time this week to check that out. Begin your journey of processing the pain of your past. 
you are worth it. We'll hold your iced coffee for you.